Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with writer, broadcaster, presenter, Kylie Olsen, and it's lovely. Uh, chat to uh, Kylie from a holiday home, and we have a lovely natter. We get overexcited about a few bands from the 90s. That's all right. It's a safe space. We can do that. Um, before we get on with the episode, uh, a few thank yous. Uh, I'd like to thank Scribius Pip, everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, big thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. Huge thanks to you lot for continuing to support Off The Beaten Track. Give us likes, loves, shares, retweets and mentions and stuff on the socials. It's lovely. Huge love to the uh, the Times for making uh, this podcast podcast of the week. It was lovely to get some, some love in the press. So um, huge, huge thank you there. Um, if it's your first time listening then welcome to the podcast. Um, you've missed a lot, 400-odd episodes. You know, you can hear me chatting to Motley Cruz, Tommy Lee, Foo Fighters. Gosh, uh, who else have we had on? Kill Switch Engage, if you like your rock. Um, and, yeah, Indie Legends, um, Interpol, Foles, The Killers. Uh, gosh, Idols, Suede. Um, big comedy heavyweights like Ed Gamble, James A. Caster, producers, Butch Vig, you know Butch Vig, done uh, Nevermind, uh, Sonic Youth, Smashing Pumpkins, what a legend he was, what a chat that is, Chuck D from Public Enemy, ah, the list goes on and on, Fatboy Slim, that's a great chat, so you've got plenty to explore, but don't do that yet, because I've got a good one, please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful Kylie Olsen. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years and I can't thank them enough. Um, and the one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you, you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favourite spirits and then they've added their lovely chocolatey magic-y stuff to it. 
So you can get like, uh, my favourite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salted caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Kylie, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right, thank you. It's very nice and sunny in the UK today. You're in France. I am, yeah. I I tend to take the summer off a little bit, and I like since since COVID, um, the, fir- the the first moment we got to leave the UK, I literally jumped in my car and just drove and drove across Europe. We we went basically France and then into Italy because we have a family house there, and and it kind of started this bug to sort of do it every year in the summer. So that's kind of what I tend to do. And if I have some work come in, if I can't do it remotely, then I just jump on a plane and I can go wherever I need to be. But it's just really nice driving across France and Italy. It's quite nice. I, uh, I've recently got back from Italy. Um, and the one thing, like I went to Rome and it blew my mind. I, I thought it was an incredible place. But the one thing that I just thought, the one thing I never, ever want to do here is drive a car. It was <laughs> I, I insane. Know <laughs> I know. I do sit there half the time going, oh. <laughs> they literally drive on in the fast lane within an inch of each other yeah. don't it's absolutely insane i i i do spend a lot of the time screaming in the car actually um through italy but Fra- as soon as you get into france or anywhere else in yeah. that region it's fine but yeah <laughs> they are a bit crazy okay all right well let's get on with um your playlist uh, and I'm going to ask you Kylie please for track one to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please I mean I, I guess I should just come out and say it but I kind of want to say what makes something great it's it's a hard one isn't it but for me I chose Enter Sandman by Metallica um, I just think that there's something about that song that the start of it instantly, you know what it is. It's kind of quite scary. And I and I later on found out that um, James Hetfield wrote it about a kid having a nightmare. And I can kind of relate to that because when I first heard this, I used to love watching horror movies and I got to the point where I was scaring myself so much that I had to say, do you know what? I can't watch scary movies anymore. So um, that song really taps home to me, that kind of fear <laughs> of, of, you know, being scared, basically, which is what I was doing watching these these scary movies. It was a, a mad, mad time for them. And, and that, that the Black Album... That just seemed to transcend them from kind of underground heroes to one of the biggest bands in the world. You know, I, I remember, you know, they were like my kind of real formative years, them, them sort of early 90s and the MTV Awards in, in the early 90s where you'd get Metallica, Jane's Addiction, you know, oh, Nine Inch Nails, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, like all on these like, 
putting on these incredible performances, REM uh, and stuff like that. And and it just seemed that for quite a few years, those bands were the biggest bands on the planet. And and you know to this day Metallica still are up there. They they must be still one. Of, you know when they tour, one of the biggest sort of grossing uh, touring bands. I'm sure they are. And I think uh, they they are a lot of that. Like you say, that Black Album was kind of their their breakthrough record, really, um, or that put them out there on the mainstream. And I think Bob Rock, who produced that record, was just he pushed them. He pushed them to new levels, I think. And I know that, you know, there was a lot of arguing and stuff like that going on during the making of that record. And somehow that kind of transcended into this just freaking amazing record that, you know, probably is one of the reasons why we're still talking about them today. I mean, they're still putting out great music. But you are right. That whole MTV era in the 90s was just like, yeah. Some of the best stuff out there, I think, came from from that kind of period for sure. And of course, like Kirk Hammett, I think it's one of his, that 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 particular intro. I think is one of his greatest guitar, you know, riffs that he's come up with. He, do, he doesn't get talked about much as being um, a guitar hero, but I do think he sort of showcases what a great guitarist he is on that record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unarguably. You know, if Black Album's their greatest album, for me, the greatest achievement they've ever done is those documentary films. I've never seen <laughs> comedy gold. Like, people talk about that Bross documentary as not knowing if it's for real. <laughs> There's never any question that that Metallica thing is legit and for real. And it's yeah. incredible television. I can't get my head around it. It's like... I know. It's wow. bananas. It's uh, so bananas, and you just kind of wonder, like, how was that pitched? How did <laughs> how did they how did they get that across the line? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it what like how how I just don't know. But yeah, thank goodness they they documented it all because it is TV gold for sure. Yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? And you're bang on there. Like, how did that get like signed off? Surely, if you watch that back, you can't be that far removed from the rest of the world to not watch that and go, oh, do you know what? I look like a bit of a dick there. Maybe I'll just chop that bit out. But Maybe not have the therapist there. (laughs) 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 But you've got to give it to them for being that open and just being like, you know what? Yeah, own it. We've been for a shit time and we're going to film us getting, you know, everything that's going on and, you know, him coming back into the band and everything else. But I just wonder if uh, you talk, you mentioned the Bross documentary. Obviously, that's that's a newish thing, a documentary. But I just wonder if you did it if a band would agree to do that type of thing now after, you know, in hindsight of all social media and God knows what else. I just don't know if they would. I guess you don't need to anymore. I think through social media, everybody's so overly, you know, as exposed as they wish to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, growing up in a time when, you know, for me to, to, you know, I mentioned some of them bands earlier from the early 90s and and going back before that, you know, and and to Mm. being obsessed with the Smiths and the Cure and all these types of bands. Like, I never knew what Michael Stipe had for dinner. Like, he's never put a picture of his dinner on a plate on social media. And it's like, I loved that magic and mystery about, you know, not so much 
what Morrissey's saying now, but back then I I I just didn't I would clamber for every little bit of information on Michael Stipe, Kurt, like Eddie Vedder, any of them, because yeah. you'd only get the scraps. And I think that's what made things like the MTV Awards and MTV so important because you weren't getting access to seeing this anywhere else. No, I know. I totally agree with you. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's, you kind of had to really hunt it out if you wanted it as well. And there's something quite beautiful about that because it meant you really wanted to know it. (laughs) Whereas now it's just there in your face, isn't it? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword though, isn't it? I do think the fact that you, you don't have that attachment to like a journey to find that record or to find, you know, uh, going to Camden Market to get that bootleg of that gig. Like, you know, that that's gone. But as much as everything is instantly accessible now on your telephone or whatever, there's also, I guess, pros to that as well. Because that had been about, in my formative years, I don't think I would have left the house. I think I would literally have just been finding out about new music 24-7 because it's all there to be enjoyed. So I do think it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. Uh, You're right. They do all have their pros and cons, but I think a lot of it is more cons these days, unfortunately. And I don't know how you feel, but for me, obviously, you know, if you – when I was a kid, you had CDs and and then you dabbled in a bit of vinyl and stuff like that. Um, and then now I don't have anything. And I know vinyl is I, I haven't got. I do want to do vinyl. I haven't got around to buying a record player. But I find that it makes me forget songs and it makes me forget albums. And and it, I just you don't have it because it's not there in front of you to go. Oh, I'm just going to go and look on my you know on my shelf and see what's there. It just makes me forget stuff, which really annoys me. I should do playlists. Maybe that's what it is. I need to do a playlist. I get that. But then I also like the idea that, you know, having that CD or that piece of vinyl, I know I sound like an old granddad, and I don't mean to be, but I like looking at album artwork. Oh, God. And that's something that's quite lost now. Definitely. Well, I wrote a book about album artwork, so I'm totally with you on that, you know. Wonderful. I'm the I'm the ultimate geek when it comes to that kind of journey of the the image and Sonic, you know, the Sonic journey and how they collide because it definitely takes you on on a kind of yeah, it's part of the story, isn't it? For me, Absolutely. anyway. Absolutely. Well, look, let's let's wind that story back a little bit. And for track two, I want you to tell me, please, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. It's Pink Floyd's "Comfortably Numb," and I said to you after. I submitted this to you. It come across as a bit of a druggie. <laughs> but it really was because it was a time in my life where I discovered Pink Floyd and I discovered The Wall and I listened to that song just hit me off that album. And, and just, yeah, I, I guess so. I thought that was the perfect song for this, really. It's the one that I remember having the biggest impact. If you had to pinpoint the emotion, what was it? I think it was tapping into how someone else felt. Like you can hear the pain. You can hear the. For me, I felt like the song was about depression. I, you know, I later found out it not necessarily wasn't about that. But when I heard it, I was like, "Oh, this is someone that's in pain," and I kind of felt like I could. 
feel that I could feel their pain and I think that's what it was and maybe there was like some sort of you know um also what I'm looking for like I could uh, I could understand where their pain was coming from so yeah I guess that's what it was and I think it's fine to kind of I'm sure enough people have been completely wasted listening to Pink Floyd the you know the the connections to anything like that are completely legit I mean I've got real fond memories of uh being probably about 18 and I was never really a kind of drugs guy I just wanted to go out all the time and all of my mates had discovered uh acid and had discovered weed and Pink Floyd and the doors and the amount (laughs) of times I'd just go into this house and it was like all of my mates just stoned listening to like Pink Floyd and the doors and I'll just be that irritant that just come through the door going, Come on, we're gonna go down a pub and everyone's just like, Oh leave it out like and I was like we're what are you sitting zone. around for? Yeah. Why are you just sitting around? This is boring and it was like I was never welcome around there. Never got it. But uh but yeah, yeah they I'm looked like they were having like, the best time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna lie, there was a period and it was only, you know, I guess I might have smoked a, a weed, a bit of weed or something at the time as well. But it was that. And it, like you say, it was the doors as well. It was that. And then I was into a bit of Bob Marley at the same time as well. So, um, but yeah. I later found out, though, that Roger Waters wrote that song about he had hepatitis or something at the mm. time. And uh, he they were on tour and there was some dodgy doctor that was like, you just need, you know, they were like, you need to get out on stage. And he was exhausted from this hepatitis. And then some doctor gave him a tranquilizer and he said it was like the longest two hours of his life because he could hardly play the guitar because he was so out of it. They, um, have you seen the, the Wall, the film? Yes, I have, yeah. That's kind of filmed. A lot of it was filmed where I live. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and there was this notorious gang of uh, of skinheads from a place called Tilbury, uh, which is like the, the the docks near where I live. And uh, and they were all used. They were when I found uh, authentic angry skinheads from Tilbury, and uh, and they were all used in the in the war as well. And uh, yeah, so that claim to fame. I love it. So why why was it filmed in Essex? Do you think? I don't think all of it was, but I know that that's where the the skinhead scenes and that were 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 done. I don't know why anyone would want to film anything in Essex. It's it's not a, a particularly pretty place. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> not Tilbury. Whereabouts in Essex are you then? Tilbury is that where you are? No, no. I was born there. Uh, I live in a place called Thurrock. Okay. Which is, I don't know. I wouldn't even say it's any. It's it's just a bit bleak, Essex. I guess it's not the Essex that you see on the television. That's that's a far different Essex they like to portray. That's about ten minutes up the road in Brentwood. But uh, yeah, it's not it's not for me, Essex. Which is I, weird. I was born. I was actually born in Essex. Believe Where it about? or not. Ilford. <laughs> so oh, I know okay. the I know the bleak, bleak Essex too. Mm. Um when I was, you know, I, I never grew up there or anything. I I moved to Norwich when I was really young. Um but you know, I yeah, so I had a lot of family in Essex, so I used to go go there quite a lot. So it's a nice place. It's it's close it's to London. Right. I, like, I used to go and stay with my nan in Essex, and then um, I would like it because you'd get on the train and you weren't too yeah. far away from London. I, I love the fact that the only redeeming feature Essex has is like, well, you, you can get on a train and go to London. That one redeeming feature is you can get out of there. 
<laughs> trains and buses that take you out of there that's fine <laughs> uh, yeah but i really you're right yeah you're right but uh yeah, you, I, okay we're digging in a hole here aren't we the pair of us but basically, <laughs> i yeah i can't really think of anything that i enjoyed doing in essex other than escaping it so yeah. there we go there we go. So you grew up in Norwich. <laughs> I did grow up in Norwich. Yeah, I love Norwich. Tell me about growing up in Norwich. How was it? It was wonderful place to grow up. You know, it, it, my parents, like I said, are from London, um, and they, uh, when I was very young, decided that basically they didn't want to bring their children up in London or around Essex, and so we um, moved to Norwich and. I got the kind of childhood, I guess, that they wanted me to have. Like I could ride around on my bike and go picking strawberries and raspberries and stuff like that. So it was it was wonderful. I can't complain. Although, again, as soon as I was old enough, I was like, right, that's it. I'm off to London. Yeah. Was it a musical household? No, it wasn't. Not at all. In in the sense of it was music as in my parents absolutely were always playing records. But... Well, they, they weren't playing it. They, my parents don't play any instruments or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, um, but there was always records on. My, my parents are huge Motown fans, and so there was always Sam Cooke playing and, and and you know that kind of stuff. And then my dad loved David Bowie and and uh, Fleetwood Mac. My sister was actually named after Stevie Nicks. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so they were they're big music fans. It was definitely music on. 24 7 yeah. yeah okay well let's stay in the formative years for track three and i'm going to ask you carly to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school please it's the ultimate guitar hero song with the riff of all riffs isn't it sweet child of mine by guns and roses tell me about hearing that at school and the impact that not just that song but guns and roses and rock and roll had on you yeah, that was a complete game changer for me. Um, I, again, it was the same of seeing MTV. I saw the video um, and I remember falling madly in love with Slash, first of all. And then then I realised, oh, wow, his guitar playing is pretty cool. Just the whole image. They were dangerous looking. They were They were dangerous. And yet they had the ballads as well. Like, for instance, Sweet Child of Mine. It it's this dangerous band and yet they have this softer side. And I just think that was the juxtaposition of the two. They was just, they were just different. You know, if you yeah. think about the time when they came out, you know, it was all before that it had been hair metal and AOR and, and the big, the big ballads. And then here came this band out of nowhere and just completely changed it up and essentially became the bridge to grunge. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to, to point out because I think so many people just because of maybe how Guns N' Roses looked when they first come out that it you know it's, it's quite a lazy thing to do just to sort of throw them in with Motley Crue and Skid Row and Poison oh. and and there were nothing like them and there's I'm not a fan of of, of hair metal I, I think it's just I I'm just don't think it's very good but Guns N' Roses they had something they had like it was just it just felt legit whereas the hair metal just felt as much about the image and as it did about the music. And I just think Guns N' Roses just... If you was walking 
you know, uh, down the street and some of the guys from Poison were walking towards you, you would not cross over the road. If you would have seen a very young Guns N' Roses swaggering down the street, you probably would have crossed over the road. And I think yeah. they just looked, they, they looked like a gang. And I think that's a really important thing to have in a band. They looked like a band. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I think they, they had something quite special for, for, for their, 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 initial, um, their initial records. No, you're right. I like that. I like that. They they did look like a gang. And I guess that first record was definitely, you know, like all debut records, you know, that it's done, it's rough and ready, and it's just just that it was like a that that perfect time capsule where they just captured the roughness and the the, the kind of danger in everything like the way they played and it was just the the playing the image the, just everything and the songs just yeah it's unbelievable really if you think how young they were and and how raw they were yeah and, and that record and just how bloody brilliant it is tell me about school how was that school was Non non eventful, really. It was kind of like, like I said, I just wanted to get out of there. Really, I had this burning ambition to just get out and do something with my life. I didn't want to end up in Norwich for the rest of my life. Um, and school was—I wouldn't say I was popular. I was one of those people that would be friends with everyone. So I was friends with the popular gang. I was friends with the nerds. I was friends with the, you know the emos whatever it was like whoever there was I just wanted to hang with everyone um so that's kind of you know how I spent my school days was I wasn't particularly bright like I wasn't the top of my class um but I loved music and I wanted to kind of I knew I wanted to do something in music and so I started playing saxophone um after hearing Bobby Keys in uh, The Stones, my dad kind of turned me on to Bobby Keys and then I was just like, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. Um, so I started with the saxophone and um, when I realised I wasn't that great after about, you know, five years of playing, I decided maybe I might talk about music instead. So then that's when I went to university and studied film and journalism. And so, so yeah, but... It- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey dave yeah randy since we founded bombas we've always said our socks underwear and t-shirts are super soft any new ideas maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy wait what i got it bombas absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a tough school. I didn't have a tough time at school. It was pretty, like I said, non-eventful in that sense. Going to school in, in, and growing up in Norwich, did it feel like if you would have stayed there, there would have been opportunities in the world of music or did you feel like you had to gravitate towards London to achieve that? No, it, it was all about London for me. I just knew that even to the point where I I used to, this is ridiculous, I used to put on more of a Cockney accent when I was in Norwich because I didn't want to have a Norfolk accent. So it was kind of like, I'm not going to talk with a Norfolk accent. And so I put on this cool blimey almost accent. (laughs) (laughs) I probably sounded like, um, what's his name from Mary Poppins? Um, Yeah, I I, I probably probably sounded like, uh, what is his name? Dick Dick Van Van Dyke. Dyke. Yeah, I probably sounded like him. Um, But yeah, so that's... (laughs) That was how adamant I was like, I'm not going to be from Norwich. I need to get to London. And I think I still have a little bit of that in me, in a sense. I, I do believe that London does have a sell-by date, um, but it hasn't expired for me yet. And I can't imagine ever moving anywhere else in England. I could I could move to America tomorrow, but not, um, not anywhere else in the UK, for sure. Talking about, you know, from school, just wanting to get out of Norwich and go to, to London, was you confident? Did we freeze then? Oh, okay. Um, you talked about... Am I um, back? Yeah. Uh, you, you spoke about um, the desire to leave Norwich uh, and go and study and go to university um, and, and move to London. Was you a confident young woman? Did you say, am, am I confident, did you say? Uh, yeah, I said, um, I know, let me just rephrase that and I'll drop me in the sorry. edit. <laughs> um, I'm you, sorry, I'm causing you a nightmare for the edit. Let me quit right. that as well, because that keeps pinging, doesn't it, just every time you talk. Right, go on then, fire away. So you mentioned that you had a desire to leave Norwich and, and to go and study and move to London. So for a young woman, would you, you know, that, that's quite a move. Was you confident? I think I was. I think I had this mentality of, I th- well, let me rephrase that. My, my dad always said to me, you can do anything you want to do. So I never felt like, I never had that, oh, well, you know, that's really hard to get into that industry. I won't be able to do it. I just had this mentality of, well, if I want to do it, I can do it. Um and I think it's always stuck with me. And, you know, I'm not always confident with my ability, and especially in the beginning, but I kind of like the chase. And yeah. so that kind of really pushed me on. And especially if someone said, you can't do it, or, you know, I couldn't find a way to get into. For instance, we talked about MTV being like 
just the Holy Grail when we were kids watching it. That was, of course, the place I wanted to work. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to work at MTV. And I would send them new, like all the time I'd write to them, send them letters and 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 never, never would get a reply. And then eventually I started doing work experience. So then I got a little bit more experience in that area. And so I finally, well, they started responding to me, but I never got the job. And then I met someone who knew someone at VH1. So that was kind of my way in was via VH1. And so I've always done that. If the front door's not open, then you just go around the back. And eventually, once they realize how amazing you are, then you can get in. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was always kind of like, am I confident? Not always. Am I ambitious? Yes, extremely. Um, and if someone told me you can't do something, then I really wanted to do it more. Tell me about the first record you bought. See, there's two. One, the first record that I bought was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's that cool, is it? It's really cool. I'm not sure you can say that these days, though. That's the thing. Well, it's a really strange one because it gets discussed on here a hell of a lot um, because so many people choose Michael Jackson records, um, whether it's for... I've got a guest literally uh, on my next podcast and uh, he's chose Beat It for the greatest ever intro. Um, And so many people have grown up listening to Michael Jackson and, and undeniably you know, 30, 40 absolute pop masterpieces as an artist. But the question that presents itself is, well, can you separate? I mean, we should also say, you know, know, for the record, that he was never found guilty of anything. Um, But, you know, uh, we've all seen the the documentaries and stuff. But so Mm -hmm. it's, it's whether or not people can distance themselves from... You know, can you separate the the man from the music? And it, and it, uh, you know, it, don't get me wrong. Like I, I am a huge Elvis fan. I, just, I watched a film the other week and it blew my mind. But some very questionable shit went on there. And there's so many artists. I, I, there was a documentary a little while ago. There was Steven Tyler was doing some very questionable things. And like, and there's yeah, lots there's of, loads of them. There's that. Did you? Is that that documentary? Um, what was it called? It was named after a. Um, Iggy Pop song, wasn't yeah, because Iggy Is was on cool? that, yeah. But the yeah, there was some well, Guns and Roses were in that as well, wasn't he? Um, Axl Rose, but yeah, I know what you mean. It does, and I, I'm, I'm to be quite honest with you, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel. And like you say, he hasn't necessarily been found guilty, but we have watched the documentary and everything else, and all the rumours around it, and it doesn't look good. But that was a phenomenal record thriller. Oh. Um, and it definitely had such a huge impact on me. And I would watch it and try and learn all the dance moves and everything else. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah. But I guess the one that I chose, which I think, again, this goes back to MTV, was when I saw Pearl Jam do their MTV Unplugged. That blew my mind. And i tell you what, I still watch that MTV Unplugged probably about once a month on YouTube just because it's just the greatest live record of all time. I think that performance, Eddie Vedder. Oh my goodness. 
I mean, to listen to the way he sings and the lyrics and the way he owns those lyrics, you can just feel everything. The words that are coming from his mouth, you can feel them. You can feel the the pain or the whatever he's feeling, whatever he's singing about, you can feel it. He's got such a unique way, I think, Eddie Vedder, and how he delivers his songs. He's such an incredible artist. What track are you going for? It's got to be black, isn't it? Of course it has. It has to be. And it's again, got it's got the best bit. <laughs> it's got the best bit at the end that you don't get anywhere else. That we belong together, like yeah. that's the bit. And when you, see, I've just got goosebumps. I, like I, uh, I saw them on the unplugged one. Yeah, and he just you starts screaming, what? "We belong, we belong <laughs> together." Yeah, <sighs> and he does that live. I saw him at High Park a couple of weeks ago, and obviously, absolutely cried like a baby when they played Black. Um, I was there, and I uh, cried as well. And that was the first time I've seen them played, and they are my favourite band of all time. And every time I've got tried to see them, I've never been in the country or I got I, I was meant to see them when they played Hyde Park years ago and I got stuck in France. So I couldn't um, think I missed them. I, I So, yeah, that was a bummer because I was meant to be working with them. And so I, I, I was super gutted about that. Um, but that. Yeah. I mean, seeing them play black at Hyde Park. You're right. I cried like a baby. Yeah. It's all about that line, isn't it? I know someday in a beautiful life, it like that line, it'd be a star in somebody else's sky. Like, oh wow, it's it's just why, why can't it be my? Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> it's so good. It's Where so good. And do you think to be able to write like that? It's such a gift to be and able at such to... a young age. Yeah. Have you but seen the you... Pearl Jam Twenty documentary? Oh my God! Well, Cameron Crowe is one of the reason why Mate. I do. Do is because of Cameron Crowe. I remember all, almost famous was the movie that I watched, and I was like, I need to do what he does. It's amazing because obviously that is the story of mm-hmm. his life. Um, you know, he wrote for the I think he was a young, he was 16 years old when he started writing for Rolling Stone, and of course, he got to work with all those bands from Seattle, and and so I guess that's why he made the uh, Pearl Jam documentary, and it's brilliant because it's all archive and just seeing them in those early days and just how they carved out that genre was just, yeah, it's just brilliant. I'm so pleased that he had a camera and he documented it all. I, I say this to so many people. It's one of the greatest rock and roll documentaries ever made. And like, and I've got friends that just, just, I oh, just don't like Pearl Jam. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't really get that. But I said, no. even if you don't like Pearl Jam and you want to watch an incredible documentary about a band that, get it right constantly the way they carry themselves as 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 a band as well it's just taking on Ticketmaster and things like that it was just they just do it all the right way and and stay together thick as thieves friends and it's like and that comes across like I just think yeah I think they're wonderful and I I get stick off of some people that are just just don't like Pearl Jam they're like man like what is it I just think what is it you like about them? They like, haven't I... listened. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like them, then you haven't listened. Absolutely. Because I don't know how you can say you don't like them because there's so much to like about them. Mm. And actually, they're quite varied as well. There's, you know, none of their albums are particularly too samey. So it's there, there's a lot in their catalogue to dive through to, to find some things that you like. But um, I just love them because... 
as well, like something that I admire in in a, in a band or musicians is um, if they have a a voice politically as well. If they they want to get a message across in their music, and Pearl Jam do that. Like you mentioned, the Ticketmaster thing, the, how the fact that they want to be green, and you know, it's just I admire them. That's I admire them because of their musicianship, but also with what they do with their platform as well, and how they Absolutely. don't just go, oh, okay. We're famous. We can just sit here and do nothing. No, they they have a voice and they, you know, it's brilliant. Yeah. You're on the right podcast if you want to bang on about how good Pearl Jam are because uh, you're in very, (laughs) very good company. Yeah. They're uh, they're one of my absolute faves. I'm getting the impression that you're, you like that whole 90s, like grunge era. And I've, I started DJing then and, and I, I started running my first club then. And so, you know, that, that went from you know just previous to to what happened in in Seattle you know we, we was coming off the back of what was happening in Manchester and that had started to kind of fizzle out a little bit and and to set up alternative nightclubs then was, yeah. was quite difficult and then when that scene happened all of a sudden everybody was like I want to go to a club that plays this music because at that point it was the biggest music in the world and mm-hmm. yeah oh them them bands caught me when I was 18 so it was like I just got it at the at the right time and yeah. and yeah my god like I grew my hair because I wanted to look like Eddie Vedder like every every girl was in love with Eddie Vedder it was like <laughs> and Eddie Vedder's still super cool and handsome he just rocked oh, out on Hyde Park the other day and I was like you're ridiculously cool he's he's something else for sure I mean I <laughs> I've never I've never interviewed him and I really don't think I want to interview him either because I'm not sure if I'd be able to hold it together and I I don't know I don't know if he'd be a bit awkward as well I don't know what you think but I can imagine him not playing ball I don't know I might be wrong it's like I don't know I've <laughs> I've I've got a few guests on here that not that I'd ever get the chance to speak to but um there's a couple that are my heroes that I just know that if I got to speak to them, I think it might be quite tricky and I really do not want to kind of experience that. I just want to leave them where they are and just go, yeah. Uh, and to be honest, I don't really want to speak to Morrissey anymore because he's just saying some weird stuff. But give me Johnny Marr all day long. And Johnny Marr come out with Pearl Jam. My absolute oh, guitar yeah. hero came out and played. And Eddie Vedder was just chanting, there's only one Johnny Marr. We love you, Johnny. And it was like, oh, I love Johnny Marr. He's, my, he's the reason I set this podcast up, was to get to interview Johnny Marr. Really? 400 oh, my- episodes. Well, Johnny Marr and Maxine Peake. And I've, I've, I spoke to Max. But I've still yet to have Johnny on. I've had Niall on his son, like who plays for uh, Hans Zimmer. But yeah, as as of yet, Johnny Marr has not graced the uh, the off the beaten track podcast. But it will happen. It will happen. You've, and got, to, you've got to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, but then they say never meet your heroes, don't they? So you know, but I, I think Johnny Marr would be cool, though. To be honest with you, I think he'd be all right. I met my hero, and it delivered. So I don't subscribe to that. I met Tony. I met Tony Wilson, and okay. uh, in in France, I think Maidem years ago, uh, when I was a, a a kind of struggling musician. We had a little record deal, and we got sent out to to Cannes to hassle for, uh, record labels from other countries to to license our music. And we just had a bag full of demos, and I bumped into Tony Wilson, who was there with um, his in the city thing he used to do in Manchester. Uh, 
And he was just the kindest, sweetest guy that then walked us around the whole of the centre introducing us to different labels. He hadn't even heard our demo, but he just liked the fact that we'd spent all our money trying to get a cheap flight out there with a bag of demos to try and make it happen. And it was like, yeah, I've got literally a big picture right to my left there of, of Tony Wilson. It's like, I'm a club, I, yeah. you know, I run nightclubs, and it's like, he had the coolest record label with the coolest bands and the coolest club. It's like, yeah, it's everything. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what are we here to talk about next? Oh, it's weird that we've just mentioned clubs and oh, Hacienda okay. and such, because I'm yeah. going to take your club in there. So tell me the song, please, Kylie, that soundtracked your year's clubbing. Again, it's a song that has a killer guitar riff at the beginning that just you can't sit still when you hear it. So it's the White Stripe Seven Nation Army. For me, Jack White is one of the last true guitar heroes. He's not often mentioned as a guitar hero, but for me, he is just because I just love how he experiments with the guitars. He's a gearhead, but he doesn't go out there and buy like the expensive stuff. He'll take something cheap and mash it up and make his own kind of little monster, like a, you know, a little Frankenstein. And I just, yeah, I just love that song, that album. I thought the White Stripes were one of the greatest bands ever, and I want them to get back, and I want them to do more. Oh, do you know what? I saw his um, set at Glastonbury. Uh, as, is it just Jack White now, or Jack White and the somethings? I don't know what what, uh, what his band's called now. But he obviously played his new stuff, and he played a lot of stuff by uh, the White Stripes and some Reconteur stuff. And I was never a massive, massive fan, but he was absolutely incredible. Like, yeah, yeah. he just owned it. His voice was amazing. His guitar playing was ridiculous. It was like, I was like, wow. To the point where it was like, if he comes over, I'm going to go and see Jack White because he was just phenomenal. That's why it's tragic that he never gets mentioned as being a guitar hero. And I really think he is because, like you say, Technically, he's fantastic, but then he takes it to a next level sonically by experimenting. And and I think that's kind of something interesting and something that should be kind of celebrated if yeah. someone takes, you know, that sound to a new level. And he certainly does that. And we, I know we always talk about documentaries. I mean, I'm obsessed with them, but I'm guessing you've seen It Might Get Loud. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think you've got... You've got Jack White, you've got The Edge, and then you've got Jimmy Page. And it's like, I think, yeah, it just goes to show Jimmy Page thinks he's a legend, and he is. He is a legend. And, uh, yeah, I would love to just see some more White Stripe stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where Where was clubbing? Clubbing was in Norwich, I guess, most of it. Um, It was a, a club called Boswell's, and then there was Ritzy's. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Thinking back to those days, Jesus. Um, but And then when I moved to London, I used to go clubbing, but not not massively. I've never been a massive clubber in, in that sense. I, I've always liked going to bars or house parties and stuff. So, so yeah, um, not so many when I, when I got to London, but... Yeah when I was in Norwich that was was nothing else to do yeah 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 was there good what was the indie sort of you know rock and roll scene like in Norwich it was all right I mean 
the, the one of the good places if you wanted to see live music was at the university the uea yeah. which is actually where i went i studied there as well um and they used to have some fantastic bands come through there um i remember seeing coldplay and they it was like before they were famous um and there was probably only about 20 people in the audience um so that was probably the place that you would go if you wanted to see more of these sort of indie rock scene live music stuff have you seen the Coldplay documentary i haven't is it good right i'm i quite like the first couple of Coldplay records right and then i just dialed out and it's just not for me uh, this is the one, isn't it, with his friend from the early days that made it? Doesn't it start off or something with a phone call? It's amazing. It's, is it? Okay. All right. I need to check it out. I need to put aside the whole. It's got very similar kind of thing to the Pole Jam one, insofar as somebody's documented everything, yeah. like early gigs at the Dublin Castle to like mates, Chris Martin saying, This time next year we're going to play Glastonbury, and then it being at Glastonbury a year later and then saying this time next year we're going to headline Glastonbury, cuts to a forward a year, he's headlining Glastonbury. And and it's all about the friendships and that. And and like I say, I'm not a Coldplay fan as such, but no, that, as a documentary not. film, it's wonderful. Oh, I see, that's the thing. It's something wonderful watching a band in those early stages, isn't it? Mm. You, can't, you can't repeat that. And it's yeah. like... It's so great that they had a camera on them during those early days. So that's all captured. And yeah, well, maybe I might find myself in the documentary then at that gig with 20 There you people. go. <laughs> there you go. Well, tell me, we spoke about uh, rock and roll documentaries so much, and I've got my all-time favourite one, which captures two bands in their formative years. Uh, what's your favourite music doc? Oh, that's a hard one, you know. One of the ones that I... Love was the um, the Rush documentary. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, you just fall in love with them, don't you? They're just yeah. the nicest people. And and they are actually. Ged, I've interviewed Geddy Lee, and he is just just beautiful, like such a lovely, lovely man. And I just yeah, I was so pleased. I was so pleased. Um, and he was just wonderful. And. That documentary, I just think, yeah, they're just beautiful people, all of them. Um, and it's a long documentary. but And that whole bit where Neil Peart goes off, it's terrible, a tragic life where he lost his daughter and then he lost his wife. And then he just gets on his motorbike. It's kind of like Forrest Gump. He just gets on his motorbike and he just drives across America and just disappears. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 
is for like a year and, and you just think oh god pain the pain that man must have been in and then just that was kind of the way that he dealt with it just to do that um, yeah it was extraordinary and they're so supportive of each other as well you just again a band of brothers that's what they are um Absolutely. no it's a wonderful documentary it's got so many layers to it it's, it's just yeah it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it um so I guess that's one of my favorites I'm just trying to think of another one that I really enjoyed what are your two favorites then my, my favorite is Dig um which uh, is about the Dandy Warhols and the Brian Jones Town Massacre. Have I you seen that? that? No, but I know which one it is because I've seen it on Netflix, I think, or somewhere it's else. Is it, is it worth insane. it? Insane. Is it? Okay. It's the best rock and roll documentary ever made. I ain't a fan of either band. Like, okay. I think, I think Jones Town Massacre, right. I think Dandy Warhols has some good singles, but it's mental, absolutely mental, just charting how... The Dandy Warhols are obsessed with um, Brian Jonestown Massacre. But right. the Dandy Warhols, in the, making this film, become an international big-selling band. And Anton from uh, Brian Jonestown can't deal with it, and so he literally goes out of his way to try and spoil their career. Uh, <laughs> yet, like, what? turning up outside their gigs on roller skates uh, with his single, which was called Not If I Was The Last Something on Earth, a pastiche of their Not If I Was The Last Junkie on Earth. And and, and they're still just absolutely in love with him and like and just saying, like, oh, Anton, look, come on tour with us. And it's just a really weird road trip. And and it's every time they get a, a chance, the Brian Jonestown, to showcase to a label they'll end up fighting on stage with each other and just yeah. lasting about two songs. And it's it's just bananas. And honestly, if you've never seen it, Kylie, you will love it. It's just it's the best rock and roll documentary made. Okay, I'll definitely check that one out. You sold it to me. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely it bananas. I can't believe I just passed it before. There you go. Yeah, it sounds really good. And so what was the other one? Oh, I really liked the... Beastie Boys one that was on Apple TV. That was brilliant, actually. Like, and the, what was the other one? The um, Defiant ones. I mean, that was brilliant oh, as well. Amazing. Yeah, really good. And, and I really liked, there's one, uh, an LCD Sound System um, movie that come out, just uh, documenting their last ever show at Madison Square. That was that was pretty amazing. But uh, but yeah, Dig, Dig and Pearl Jam 20, I think, are my, my top two, definitely. Yeah. I'd definitely go for the Pearl Jam one and probably the Rush one as well. I mean, it's just so many. Um, I've actually, the, I watched the Linda Ronstadt one last night, actually. I've been wanting to watch that for a while, but it hadn't come out anywhere. Um, and I managed to find it on YouTube. And uh, it was okay. She, yeah. she had an incredible life. Um, but the documentary was kind of a bit documentary painting by numbers and i think uh, the ones that really stand out are the ones that are a little bit different like yeah. the super duper alice cooper i don't know if you've seen that one no. or oh you should watch that or super mensch have you seen that one which is about alice cooper's manager no oh god watch it it's 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 hilarious anvil's a good one anvil is a good one yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that is a good one i haven't watched that for a while actually no. i'm that uh, we this book at the moment by um, this journalist called Ian Winwood, and it's called Bodies. And it basically 
tells the story of his life as a journalist for Kerrang! magazine and as a writer in general, because he went on to write for The Guardian and stuff like that. But a music, he's a music journalist. And um, it starts with his life and his dad dying and kind of, and it kind of mixes the, his life, his dad dying, and then his writing in between two. So he's got like bits, each chapter is on a different artist and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, he was talking about, um, who was the band that we were just talking about? Who I just said, yeah, I think he talked about Alice Cooper and Super Mensch and stuff like that. So, but that's a brilliant book, by the way, if you haven't yeah. read that book. Bodies. It's Bodies. Check right. it out. It's okay. fantastic. Kylie, I'm going to take you home for track six. Yes. Favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. You know, this was a hard one. Because I, I actually had to Google who was from Norwich. And the Higsons no no. were from Norwich, weren't they? Who? The Higsons. So the Higsons were this like um, kind of art rock band, um, but one of them, of the Higsons, was Charlie Higson from The Fast Show. Um, uh, the comedian right, child. Right. Uh, the Higsons were like, yeah, they had quite a lot of success, but kind of like cult status. That's when I think of them. When I think of Norwich, I think of well, Alan Partridge or the Higsons. That's it. It's Alan. It's Alan Partridge, isn't it? And I used to. One of my first jobs was at BBC Radio Norfolk. <laughs> so, and one of the guys that I worked with, one of the presenters, apparently that's who he based him on. Wow. So I, and and the weird thing is, I didn't watch Alan Partridge until many, many years after it was out. And I know everyone used to talk about it and laugh. And, of course, whenever I would say I was from Norwich, people would be like, oh. <laughs> like, and you know, it's just like, and I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't check it out, but I didn't. And I watched it not that long ago. And I just think it's genius, comedy genius. Oh, um, 100%. But, yeah, so I actually had to Google who was from Norwich. And I found out something interesting. It's not from Norwich. It's from Kings Lynn. Um, and I actually studied, I went to college at Kings Lynn and studied music. So I felt like I could crowbar this guy in. And it's it's um, Roger Taylor from Queen. Oh, really? Yeah. It was from Kings Lynn. He was born there. So uh, I thought that was quite an interesting one. And I think Queen obviously a fantastic band so the song that I've chosen from them and it isn't necessarily one of my favorite songs from Queen but it was a song that Roger wrote and it's these are the days of our life um I never knew Roger wrote that yeah he did he said he was feeling quite melancholic at the time it was obviously nearing the end of Freddie's life and he just wrote it about them being kids and being together and where they were now. And I just think when you know that and you listen to those lyrics, you just can't help but cry. Yeah. It's so sad, especially if you watch the music video with it. It was the last mm. time, you know, we all saw Freddie. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's actually, as you know, everyone always jokes about the drummer not being the, the very intelligent one. They don't mm. bring anything to the band and stuff. But actually, Roger, he's written quite a few yeah. hits for, for Queen and stuff. And, and he's a lovely guy as well. That's always good. I reckon that, that drummer that was in Nirvana was going to do all right for himself. Do you think? I never thought he would do well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a two artists that prove that drummers have a lot more going on than we think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. Last track. 
Uh, Kylie, I want you to uh, play Tastemaker now, and I'm going to ask okay. you, please, to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. I, now, I adore this song, and about 18 months ago, I started learning how to play guitar, and this was one of the first guitar riffs that I wanted to learn on the guitar because a lot of people call Eric Clapton God, but he is God to me, and this is Jeff Beck's Rock My Plimsoll. If you haven't listened to this song, you have to go and check it out. It's when he was working with um, Rod Stewart, and I just think they are a killer combo together. It, for me, this is Jeff Beck's finest era in his career working with Rod. I just think they they complement each other beautifully. Um, and there's just something wonderful about this song. It's got this kind of – it feels a little bit behind the beat. It's It's just – it's just wonderful. And I didn't find out until years later that it was influenced by B.B. King's Rock Me Baby as well, which is is another great song. And you can sort of hear the guitar riff slightly in there when you listen to the B.B. King version. But, yeah, it's a great song. So check it out if you haven't listened to it. We make it easy for people to do that, Kylie, because we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast. So people can go and listen to that and all the other tracks that – uh, we've spoken about today. Um, as the rest of the year, I mean, we're into the second half of 22 already. It seems to be going rapidly and, and, and gigs are happening. Festivals are happening. The, the pandemic feels like a yeah. thing of the past now. And, and let's hope that, you know, it, it continues to stay that way. Um, for the rest of 2022, what are you looking forward to personally and what's going to be happening professionally? They're always entwined for me um I I love my job so much that it's kind of like yeah the two really so there's not much going on personally uh in in that sense I'm just finishing up my my um summer holidays now in France but I've got to when I get back I'm heading to Boston to do something with Nuno Betancourt um during the lockdown I decided to learn how to play guitar and then I launched a YouTube series around this where I interview famous guitarists and then they give me a bit of a lesson and stuff so I'm sort of taking that to the next level now um and I've started making a few episodes because we're looking to get it onto tv now so make a tv series out of it wonderful um so I did one with Joe Bonamassa Joe Bonamassa in Nashville um, and then I'm heading, like I said, to Boston to do something with Nuno Betancourt because obviously that's where he's from. Um, so it's a bit of a travel show with music and guitars and, and stuff. So I'll be doing that next. Um, and then I'm going out to L.A. for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in November. That's nice. always a fantastic event to be at because... It's like rock and roll royalty all under one roof. It's incredible. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And that's kind of it, really, of the, the yeah. two things that I can think of coming up um, at the moment. But it changes every minute, really. And so if people want to keep up to speed uh, with the, the, the YouTube series and potential TV series and all the other things that you get up to, where's the best place to keep up to speed with you? Probably, well, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is just YouTube Kylie Olsen, or my Instagram, which is the same, Kylie Olsen. So. Wonderful. Well, Kylie, if it's all right with you, we'll, we'll tag you in this uh, when this episode comes out so people can go yes. and find you if they haven't done so already. Please, 
please do that would be amazing it was so great chatting to you it was really weird being interviewed it's like the the hunter being hunted for once wonderful enjoy it like yeah. must, be, must be different um kylie honestly i've had a, had a lovely time it's been really delightful talking records with you thank you so much mate yep. thanks for having me on and enjoy the rest of your day there you go ah absolutely delightful chat um huge thanks and love to kylie for giving up her time and coming on here hope she enjoyed the rest of her holiday and then off to off to boston for more rock and rolling and uh and and, and fun work so uh yeah enjoy that um hope you had a lovely time listening to this podcast i'm back next time uh in the meantime go check out the back catalogue hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes with all your favorite rock stars indie stars comedians writers producers Oh, they're all over there. Just go and explore it and uh, you'll see hundreds of very recognisable names and uh, and I've had some delicious chats with loads of them. So go explore on all your favourite uh, podcast platforms. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, there's a Patreon as well. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. Go and explore that. Loads of radio shows, bonus content. Watch all the episodes over there. Um, yeah, I'm back next time. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat a